Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So I know a lot of people have been talking about the temperatures, not just in central Indiana, but all across the country uh, and and across the globe. Uh, Here's the headline from News Nation. Record high temperatures impact more than 100 million Americans. You know, I've seen this story before. It's hot. It's it's hot. Phoenix, Arizona hit 114 degrees, the 17th consecutive day of 110 degrees or higher. The record is 18 days set in June of 1974. So when they were telling us about global cooling, Phoenix was setting a record for heat. Death Valley, California, which is again named Death Valley, it was 128 degrees. I'm not arguing that it isn't hot. I'm arguing that the hype is madness. It's really important not to allow it to 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 lead you into insanity. Oh my gosh, I guess we are going to have to stop using air conditioning. No, air conditioning is what you use when it's 110 degrees out. It's hot. It's the middle of summer. That's what you should expect. And the idea that this is just proof of man-made global warming. Sorry, they've been talking about this year after year after year after year. I don't think you should buy into the fear at all. I think you should take care of yourself. And your family members who may be living in these areas should take care of themselves. They should hydrate and they should check on their neighbors. That's what you do. That's how you act normal. As opposed to Kamala Harris. Matt, do me a favor. I'll take the quick break. I'm going to get into this. Stay right there. This is Tony Katz today. So when I was in law school, I was back in California after I left Howard, and I drove a Toyota Corolla. It was a fancy car for me. (laughs) And I had a bumper sticker in the back window. Jesse Jackson for president. Well, that's disqualifying. In case Kamala Harris needed more things that were disqualifying, a Jesse Jackson for president bumper sticker might very well be top of the list. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Jesse Jackson is a shakedown artist. It's all he's ever been. It's all he'll ever be. He should be remembered all his days as a shakedown artist who did nothing to make America better. Support of him? Supporters of him? Man, that's some crazy bigotry. A guy who built his career on write me a check. Al Sharpton learning the lessons. Patrice Cullors learning the lessons from Al Sharpton. Patrice Cullors started Black Lives Matter, the organization, which, as we all know, is a grift. You had Jesse Jackson for president on your car. That's, that is something. And it's something because people forget the history of Jesse Jackson. I know the man is ill and then the other issues, not a good guy. 
not a decent guy, not a worthy guy at all. Jesse Jackson was terrible and hateful and nasty. Do I think Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is anti-Semitic because of that whole thing about how uh, there's there are papers that show that COVID was engineered to affect white and black people more than uh, Ashkenazi Jews and Chinese people? All I said, and I'll say it again, show me the data, please. Show me what it is you're referring to. I'd greatly appreciate it. The idea, oh, you know, this, you know, he didn't say that this uh, disease, COVID, engineered by the Jews in order to keep them safe, but really hurt everybody else. You know, that's who they are. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. Is it weird? Sure, it's weird. Is it weird that China or anybody else would be engaged in some uh, bioengineering to affect certain groups more than other groups? No, it doesn't. As a matter of fact, I think for a lot of people, it's the first time they ever heard that's even possible. They've ever heard anything like it. Nothing is surprising when it comes to the Chinese or when it comes to our enemies. Sci-fi has come to the real world. Everything is possible. But I don't think Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is an anti-Semite. The same cannot be said of Jesse Jackson, who I'm stating is. I'm stating that Jesse Jackson is an anti-Semite. Do I have to go back to the Heimitown quote? He can claim uh, that it was uh, taken out of context, but it was not. When um, Jesse Jackson referred to New York as Heimitown, this was... This was 84. Um, Jaime, uh, a slur for Jews. That's, that's, that's what that was. And that's what Jesse Jackson said. And then who defended him? Louis Farrakhan. You know, he's got all the right friends in all the right places. I'll tell you what. That, I mean, but that's who he is. It wasn't a one and done with Jesse Jackson. It was an ongoing with Jesse Jackson. He's always been a bigot. He's always been hateful. He's always been awful. No one's life is better because of him. Kamala Harris had his bumper sticker on her car. Now, look, we've all made mistakes. We've all made mistakes. And that's the only way to have that conversation. You know, I used to have a Jesse Jackson bumper sticker on my car. Oh, how embarrassing, right? See, that's, then it would be like, oh, okay. All right, so so they figured some things out. Good on them. You know, it's one thing to vote for somebody I disagree with. It's, it's another thing to vote for somebody who is uh, predicated on, on, on the hate. So that's another that's another thing altogether. Right there. Support of Jesse Jackson. Adulation for Jesse Jackson. Sorry. Not not in. 
not down, and I'm not going to engage the revisionist history. I think it's important to have a clear picture of history, which is what brings us to this letter regarding Anthony Fauci, the unredacted letter. So it was um, Martha McCallum who was looking into this. Um, And this discusses the idea that when it comes to COVID, mutations in the virus that would have been most unusual to have evolved naturally in bats. That's what it contains. Mutations in the virus that would have been most unusual to have evolved naturally in bats, adding there had been, quote, suspicion that this mutation was intentionally inserted. This note had been redacted to the hilt and now has been unredacted, and this is the story it's telling. The story it's telling is that all the people who were questioning whether COVID came about naturally or whether it was because of -of gain-of-function research, all those people were silenced, and it turns out, of course, they had an argument to make. A legitimate, important argument to make. And they were silenced. And they were silenced by people like Dr. Anthony Fauci, who clearly knew it was possible. I'm not arguing probable. I'm not arguing that they had all the facts. I'm not arguing they had conclusive proof nor evidence. I am saying that it was possible. Why would you limit doctors? Why would you limit scientists from having a conversation about what was possible? Why would you do such a thing? Why aren't you embarrassed by such a thing? And why don't we, the American people, do something about that? Why is Dr. Fauci allowed to ride off into the sunset with a full pension after he kept information from American citizens and kept American citizens from being able to have the conversations? You don't think it was him and his cohorts that were keeping groups like social media, uh, groups like Twitter and, and Facebook social media companies from allowing these kinds of talks? Maybe I owe them some debt of gratitude. Maybe everybody in radio does. Because if there's anything that Fauci and company showed, it's that radio is the last honest place on earth. It isn't social media, even though Twitter is much better under uh, Elon Musk than it was under Jack Dorsey ever. Radio is where conversations took place. Radio is where arguments happened. Radio is where you heard things you could not have heard anywhere else because they wouldn't have allowed it on CNN or MSNBC. They would not have allowed it on The View. Only radio offered up some level of differentiation which allowed for conversation and allowed people to think. If this was out there from the beginning and then it was heavily redacted so nobody could read it and then Fauci was trying to move other people to not have these conversations, how do you not call it a cover-up? What else could it possibly be? How else could it be possibly described? It is what it is, what it is, and it was what it was, what it was. 
It was telling the American people, we may know some things, but you don't get to know those things. And you're not allowed to talk about those things, nor are you allowed to listen to others who can talk about those things because we won't let them talk. Fauci silenced doctors and nurses and scientists and practitioners and just people who know how to read a chart. He silenced them through a pressure campaign on social media. Trust the CDC, trust the NIH, trust the government? What the hell are you, nuts? They proved to you that they can't be trusted. They're proud not to be trusted. They're not even shy about it. Because you know they'll do it again. This story bothered me to no end. This was where, what, what, this was in uh, popular science. I don't often read popular science, but I was like, what in the world am I supposed to do with this information? The article headline, U.S. schools aren't ready for another pandemic. What do you mean? Why aren't we ready? And may I take it a step further? What other pandemic are you talking about? The story, which was originally published on a site called Undark, which full disclosure, I know nothing about. The transition to online learning in the United States during the COVID-19 pandemic was by many accounts a failure. While there were some bright spots across the country, the transition was messy and uneven. Countless teachers had neither the materials nor training they needed to effectively connect with students remotely. While many of those students were bored, isolated, and lacked the resources they needed to learn. And the results were abysmal. Low test scores, fewer children learning at grade level, increased inequity, and teacher burnout. Increased inequity. That's that's just precious. Well, you knew they had to throw that in there. But we can agree that remote learning failed students. But now this article that U.S. schools aren't ready for another pandemic. So maybe they're not arguing that another pandemic is coming, but maybe that we, if we had another one of these, another one of these situations, we would still not be prepared for it. Then you've got people like Bill Gates. A series of articles where he's discussing preparing for the next pandemic. And it was, was it recently? Was just uh, No, it was, it was a year ago now. Bill Gates warns of deadly new pandemic even worse than COVID. What? Why would you warn of... Of something. What what do you know that we don't, Bill? And that Bill Gates put himself so front and center in so much of this conversation, the vaccine conversation, and what have you. I, I'm not listening to Bill Gates on how to keep a, a nation safe. The first step in keeping the nation safe is keeping the nation open. It's the first step. The nation must remain open. If you want to tell me that lockdowns and, and, and remote learning 
failed because you locked down the schools, so remote learning failed, then we could be clear that a remote society also doesn't work for the vast majority of people because I'm sure there are some kids who did great with the remote learning, just like there are some people who did great working from home. But the vast majority of people did not do great, which is why you see so many companies pushing to get people back in the office. This isn't just pressure from cities to try and bring people back to downtowns so the restaurants are full again. This is about actual productivity. I've been using the following line to get people to understand where the productivity conversation is at. During COVID and everybody working from home, How many people took sick days? Let's say you were at home, you worked from home, and you had COVID. Did you take a sick day? Or did you pull up your laptop, sniffle, and just type some things? You didn't take a sick day. How many people took sick days during COVID? If you got to bank them, how much did you bank? And what exactly is it going to cost the company when you were banking these sick days, even though you were clearly less productive? I say clearly because the amount of people who want you to return to the office so they can keep an eye on your productivity. Some people benefited greatly from COVID. Some people did not. Are we prepared for another pandemic? It's a very interesting question. But shouldn't it be based on the idea of how do we as a nation want to respond to the next pandemic? And how would you respond if you couldn't trust the officials at play? Before we get into a conversation about remote learning, shouldn't we be the ones who ask if the CDC told us X, Y, and Z, would we believe them? That to me seems like a much more uh, important place to look. Should we already be engaging the people who are discussing the better ways to lock down if there were another pandemic? We shouldn't be locking down at all. You cannot stop society to save society. It doesn't work like that. The Constitution must remain. And let me say again to all the churches and all the synagogues that shut down, you were wrong and your pastors and your rabbis are fools. You stay open. You stay open. You do not allow yourself to be closed. Your board of directors needs to shut down. You're worried about the liability. What are you, out of your head? Grow up. Do you have any idea what religious liberty actually means? Do you know how hard it is to get it once it's lost? You stay open, you damn fools. We're going to worry about the remote learning? The remote learning is what we have to worry about. We're not prepared. <laughs> I hate to, I hate to break it uh, to the people uh, o- over there at uh, what, what was that? Popular, whatever it was. I hate to break it to you. Popular science. U.S. schools aren't ready for another pandemic. The U.S. people aren't ready for another pandemic because they wouldn't know who to trust. Because they don't trust. They don't trust. And until we can get that set, we don't have to even think about the remote learning. I'm Tony Katz. This 
is Tony Katz today. of the things that you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, sadly, it probably was. You know, he was recommended very strongly by Chris Christie, who's, you know, a sad case. Rich, uh, what should we all make, or the media make, of Trump turning on his own FBI chief, he's the one who named him, and then trying to blame it on Christie, when obviously he's the president <laughs> who makes the final decision on appointees? Well, he's always on message, right? So he's going to take exactly. a slap at uh, Christie if he has the opportunity. Sure. Look, I don't think Chris Ray is a, a bad guy or a bad F FBI director. He's doing the best he can with an institution that has made some desperate mistakes, mostly before he was there, things he didn't have anything to do with. Mm -hmm. And he's the fall guy. And if there's a Republican president, he's very likely going to be out, out the door very soon thereafter. I would say the one. Ex I'm sorry, Rich Lowry. Um, he's more than the fall guy. He's more than the fall guy. I, I think that this is a, uh, I think this is not, miscalculation's not the word. It's, it's, it's too much kindness that isn't deserved. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Find everything. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Rich Lowry heads up National Review. And I find myself agreeing and disagreeing with National Review all the time. And what I'm enjoying is when they disagree with themselves. So one of the things I like about the outlet is that there's this very, there, there seems to me to be a very open conversation happening. I dig that stuff. I want to hear the thoughts. I do not want a cacophony of the same thought. Because who would really believe in an honest conversation that everybody's got the same thought? There are moments when that happens. There are moments when everybody has the same thought. I'll, I'll give you an example. When you say, that you've done an investigation and you don't know who brought the cocaine into the White House, everybody has the same thought. OMG, are you kidding me right now? The same exact thought is taking place across the country. Oh, God! You could be black, you could be white, you could be Asian, Hispanic, man, woman, gay, straight, rich, or poor. You don't know who brought the coke into the White House? It's embarrassing! F these people. You know it, I know it. Everybody knows it. Of course they know. Of course they know. This, this mass murderer, uh, this, this serial killer in... Um, in New York, this the Gilgo Beach suspect. I mean, it's nuts. It is nuts how they found this dude. How they kept searching to to find who had murdered these 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 uh, sex workers. I think were they, were they all hookers? I, I'm not trying to be rude. I just want want to make sure. I mean, this is crazy town. DNA traced this, that, the other. But Coke in the White House. No one knows. No, no one buys it. 
No one believes it. You could take me, white conservative, find the most liberal black woman you can, put us in a room, tell us this story, and we will both look at each other and laugh our asses off because we both know it's crap. And as I explained on, on Fox just last week, on Fox News, do you not understand that as a, a matter of just racial component, when quote-unquote black America, which of course doesn't apply to everybody, I mean, if, if you told me there's a Jewish America, I'd be like, ah, that's, that's funny, that's, that's, that's not true. Um, you see a black man going to jail for maybe being around somebody who has coke. But somebody can bring coke into the White House and there are no charges. No one knows who did it. Who are you kidding? Who are you kidding with that? That's what Americans say. That's exactly what it is that they say. When it comes to Christopher Ray, is he the worst guy in the world? No, 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 I, I, I don't think so. Is he trying to clean up the messes of James Comey and Andrew McCabe and others? Absolutely. Is it a difficult job? You bet. Is he squeaky clean and all sorts of terrific? No. His refusal to answer questions Christopher Ray, the FBI director, his refusal to answer questions is an affront. And it isn't something that Congress should sit idly by and just deal with, which is why I want to discuss defunding. He's not just the fall guy. Some of this, a good amount of this, Christopher Ray has brought on himself. And I think it's a failure from people like Rich Lowry to not admit that fact. Now, maybe he has gone about admitting it. But let me give you a, another example. This was Senator Tom Cotton talking about the cocaine. I brought up uh, the, this uh, serial killer suspect in New York. Senator Cotton of Arkansas. Well, I think the second question is a key point. Whether it is or is not, I don't think most Americans expect their banks to be handing over records of their purchases without any kind of probable cause or even reasonable suspicion. I think the conversation that happened there on, on that tape and in the hearing, too, contrasts what we were just talking about, the Secret Service investigation at the White House. The government will dedicate thousands and thousands of agents to try to find every grandmother with a red MAGA hat on who was in Washington, D.C. on January 6th, if they'll shut down the investigation of cocaine at the White House in just a few days. Look, the FBI had problems under Jim Comey. That's why he was rightly fired. Christopher Wray was hired to help clean it up, especially to reform its culture at the top. Unfortunately, that hasn't happened. You see, you still see FBI agents threatening that traditional Catholics could be domestic extremists or conducting raids at the home of pro-life activists for the grave crime of singing hymns in front of abortion clinics. There is a lot of reform that needs to happen at the FBI. And that is why... You don't get to say that Christopher Ray is the fall guy. I thought Senator Cotton put it very well. They can look for every grandmother in a MAGA hat on January 6th, but shut down the cocaine probe? 
Nah. That's on Christopher Ray. Now you say to me, Tony, that's Secret Service. Whoa, 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 whoa. That is about the idea that we look the other way for certain folk. This is about the two-tier justice system. Somebody brought coke into the White House. The FBI doesn't do any investigation into that. The FBI doesn't have anything to do with that subject. Or can we point to the myriad of other things that the FBI, without question, is is covering and wouldn't answer? As Senator Cotton brought up, specifically the records. The FBI is asking for phone records from your cell phone company. The cell phone company is just giving them over. We don't even know it. We don't even know that it's happening. And they won't answer those questions. Nah, you don't. Don't give me. Don't give me. The fall guy stuff. That's a mistake from Lowry. And it's a mistake from anybody on the political right who isn't going to hold him to account. He's not responsible for everything the FBI has done when he wasn't there. He's responsible for being unwilling to give us answers now. And he's certainly responsible for moves the FBI has made while under his watch. He, that's not a fall guy. The right cannot play nice here. The pressure must continue. And if you ask me if defunding is fine, I'll tell you, I don't know why we're not defunding right now. I'm Tony Katz. That we will give Ukraine everything it needs for as long as it takes. At the beginning of the summit, President Celeste was clearly unhappy with what he was hearing about joining NATO. We saw those tweets that he sent out. Later he said he believes Ukraine will join NATO the moment the war is over. Was that explicit promise made to him? What we said in the communique is that Ukraine's future is in NATO, period, full stop. No qualifications, no negotiations with anyone. Uh, It is going to happen. There are two elements to this, George. One, having Ukraine come into NATO while the war is going on would mean that NATO was at war with Russia. It would mean the United States was at war with Russia. And neither NATO nor the United States were prepared to do that. Second, every country that wants to come into NATO has to make certain democratic reforms in order to meet NATO standards. Ukraine has made a lot of progress on that pathway. It has more reforms to make. And we are working through with Ukraine uh, the nature of those reforms, which it it itself has embraced uh, as necessary for its democratic futures. That's Jake Sullivan, national security advisor. Is that his official title? Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, good to be with you. So Ukraine's future is a NATO, full stop. Is America's future just funding Ukraine forever? That's the question that regardless of where you are with uh, Tucker Carlson talking and, and doing the interviews uh, uh, at, at the summit with, with Tim Scott, with, with Asa Hutchinson, with Mike Pence, That question is legitimate. And all of the people who support supporting Ukraine have to answer it. When is enough enough? When does it stop? And some people will say it stops when Russia stops, which means that they're okay with billions of dollars for the foreseeable future. The question, of course, then would come, well, does Russia ever stop? 
And the answer is, I don't know. Is it possible if, if you had a stronger president of the United States, you wouldn't have had this to begin with? Well, that's what the Trump uh, acolyte states, because Trump didn't allow these things and nothing happened under his watch. And it's an argument they get to make. It's not like electing a new president is going to make the stop. The war is already here. Now the question will be, will there be pressure on a Republican president to get it to end, but therefore saying to Ukraine, you have to give something up. You have to give up land. You're giving up the Donbass. It's over. And does giving up the Donbass actually get you peace? If you ask me, no. And I would argue with anyone, including Tucker Carlson or anybody else, that if you think giving up the Donbass gets you peace you're nuts it gets you the next four or five years of no big deals but then there'll be something else well of course there'll be something else because what you will have proven to putin is that you could just throw some bodies at the thing yeah your military is not that good turns out his military sucks and uh, you just stick with it, cause enough problems and lie enough and, and, and create enough hassle, throw enough bodies at the thing. Eventually, they'll give and give you something and something's better than nothing. So might as well do it again. Anybody going to discuss this? If you want to talk about brokering a peace, which I get the argument, it's not that I'm opposed to it, you must understand that that peace cannot be lasting because the brokering of the peace is teaching that the invasion worked. Is that the message we want to send? Well, Tony, no, 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 no. We don't want to send any message at all. We should not care. Okay, we should not care. Let Russia invade Ukraine, let Ukraine fall, let Russia take Ukraine. That where it ends? You just now have a Russia that was able to take Crimea, that was able to take Georgia, now is able to take the whole of Ukraine. Take all of uh, those people, take all of that land, take all of that uh, manufacturing of fertilizer, for example, control it, and now really control the Black Sea. I mean dynamically control the Black Sea, my use of, of word there. This is what you want. The people who are arguing we shouldn't be in a forever war with Ukraine monetarily aren't wrong. And part of the issue here is, is that we've created this idea of there's only one correct answer. And we're really making a mistake by saying that not only is there one correct answer, but that this has to be the top subject for Republicans going into the election. Are you out of your minds? Are you crazy people? Ukraine is your top subject? That's ridiculous. Strength should be a top subject. How about we elect people who don't get us into these situations in the first place? But I cannot vote now to counteract or retroactively change what has already happened. We're in it. Or I should say they're in it. What do we want? If you ask me still, money and hardware, is that, is that okay? I'll say yes. Sending U.S. troops 
to train Ukrainian troops in Ukraine? I'm a hard no. Well, then how are they going to learn how to use the Patriot system? I don't think they should have the Patriot system. You want to talk about fixed-wing aircraft from now until the end of time? You're more than welcome. I don't want to send troops there to train them. Bad things come from that. We've only been talking about that for months. There is nothing wrong with asking your elected leadership, what is the end game here? What's the result we're looking for? If you tell me, well, the result is to stop the war, well, then you're telling me that the, that, the, that the result is tell Ukraine to give up land. By telling Ukraine to give up land, you're telling uh, Vladimir Putin and those oligarchs, see, you could do this. I mean, it is what it is, what it is, what it is. Well, Tony, you don't know that, Ukraine, that Russia would do this again. What, are we all playing pretend? Are we all playing pretend now? Because I'm not, I'm not interested in that. I'm not. I just wanted to make sure we're all clear on, on certainly where I stand, maybe where you stand, and maybe where some of the conversations are. But if Ukraine is the thing that's going to make you decide how you're going to vote, man, have we missed the point in my view. I'll get into more of that. Find everything at TonyCats.com tomorrow, everyone. Take care.